0: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh... Let's get ready to rumble!
1: Well, welcome to Opera Box Score. We're on WNUR FM Evanston, Chicago. We're streaming on WNUR.org slash pop-up. We're available as a podcast on iTunes, wherever you are, however you're listening. Thanks for hanging out with America's Talk Radio Show about opera. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-host Oliver Camacho, as well as our guest co-hosts Rose Freeman and Marissa Abbas. Rose is a stage director, curator, and producer. Her works in opera, burlesque, and performance art. Marissa is a mezzo soprano and the managing diva of the Chicago chapter of Opera on Tap. We'll be going inside the huddle with both of them next in our first double header interview ever. In 20 minutes, it's the Chalk Talk segment. Our panel talks about the realities of working in the opera business and asks how exactly is success measured? Plus, we'll discuss a recent article in the Washington Post, which uses American Mezzo Soprano Elizabeth Bishop as a case study for success. Check out the link to the piece on our website, operaboxcore.com Hey, if you're in the industry, what's your definition of success? Give us a call live on air. The number is 847 six W N U R. wnur That's 847 847- Then at 945, our Monday evening quarterback segment returns as we review Haymarket Opera's production of Haydn's work, L'Isola, Disabitata, and true to form, we hand out some letter grades in our assessment. So man, this show is loaded. Oliver Camacho to my right in the studio. How are you, buddy?
2: I'm great. It's a long time no see.
1: Yes, long time no see, as in S-E-E. Yes. Not like it's ocean It's so nice. To, we're
2: total opposite of what we normally have. It's not a sausage party today. Today it's a taco party?
1: It's, it's, well, it's right <laughs> down the middle. That, that's for sure. Rose Freeman, how are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank, Thank you so you. much for coming on the show tonight. This
3: is awesome. This is great. I had to finagle myself out of staging rehearsal, but uh, okay. I left my assistant in charge. So I appreciate all right.
1: it. Well, that's good. It, he or she should get a bite at the apple, right? Exactly, I think Emily's going to enjoy herself at okay. at the Dark Sisters. Watch rehearsal. out!
2: It's going to be like all about Eve, <laughs> uh,
1: Marissa Abbas over there in the corner of the studio.
4: Hi, not back here yet. I'm not
1: back here. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Thanks for coming on the show.
4: Doing well. Thanks for having me.
1: Good, good, good. Uh, well, I think we should kick it right off. We're going to get into our shock talk segment. Excuse me, our inside the huddle segment.
0: Let's go inside the huddle
1: right away. So, Rose, you and I met. Oh my gosh, should we even tell this story? I mean, Dewey, he might be listening. <laughs> I think we should. We met on on doing a new rock opera. It was so new. It was so new. Now, this is the funny thing: is that the worst shows always have the best stories. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I've, I've never. I don't have I ever made more money doing a show than that show. You know, I actually vied for your position, and then when I actually.
3: Got the full score. I thanked every part of the universe for letting you take the hit on that one. Yeah,
1: exactly. I, the, the title doesn't matter. You can do the research and figure out the title, but the show is a rock opera about the, the Balkan Wars between uh, Kosovo and uh, the Serbians. It, it's politically it was also complex. a gay love story. And exactly. it was like a gay love story. That.
3: Nice. Beautiful. I yeah. mean, but you did teach me a really important thing about stage directing. What was that? And that's take $50 hide it, and then when you really need something, go buy the thing you need. I think it was Where do you get
2: the $50 to start with? I think like it's out of your own pocket. You oh. just give up,
3: and you just take that $50, okay. and you hold it.
2: For me, it was $3,000 I needed to be hiding to make my show work, so... That's wow. a lot
0: of money to make something work. That's a very big
1: mattress. that you then would... When you
2: add the credit card interest, it's it's still over $3,000.
1: To... That was like four years ago. Do you need to take a minute about that go cry again? <laughs> no, it's
2: okay. One day I'm going to get married to a surgeon or something like that, and all my debts will go away.
1: Now, uh, Rose and Marissa, you guys are actually about to do a show together, right? That is we true, Yeah. So, Marissa, tell us about it.
4: Uh, it's uh, La Pita Uh We're doing it with... Uh... Ah, yes, Mozart. Yes, Mozart. Everyone loves Mozart. Mm-hmm. It's one of his lesser-known ones. Uh, we're doing it as an opera for charity. The charity is going to be the Clean Water Initiative with Vision Trust. It's going to be uh, in November, the weekend before Thanksgiving. Um, Rose, you want to yeah, tag I'm, in on this? I'm actually
3: really excited, and I'm so glad that um, you pronounced it for us. We were. You're we were, welcome. Yeah, because yeah. I I can't pronounce anything. It's part of. It's like what you voice. put on your hot dog, exactly, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know, that yeah. is yeah. like Giardina. I just keep saying La Finta yeah. and hoping everyone. The just Chicago the Hot mic. Dog Opera. Exactly. Except
2: that there's another Mozart, La Finta Semplice. so That's true. We can
3: let them fill in the blanks and then be really surprised (laughs) when they show up. Mm -hmm. We'll just let them be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) No, but we're doing it found space. Uh, We're going to be doing it in an unusual setting, which is one of my specialties. So I'm really excited as a staging director. And we're adding in Neo Comedia. Really psyched about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really excited to work with you again because we just just did. Okay. Neo Comedia
2: um, is not a character in The Matrix. It's Commedia dell'arte, but a new a new version of it, like a modern which version of it. Which
3: or? was actually originated in Chicago.
2: What the Matrix?
4: No,
3: I mean maybe I don't know. <laughs> I, haven't I mean, aren't with the, the, the Kowski siblings
4: in Chicago? So that could be true. That's
3: true. Uh, neo comedia originated in Chicago. And what is as next, I what it?
2: makes neo neo Commedia different than regular Commedia dell'arte?
3: As I understand it, it, is a little bit more in your face, okay. uh, which is hard to imagine considering how in-your-face Comedia can be. Yeah,
2: but are still like archetype characters? Totally. Like you still have your archetypes,
3: like, okay. you still have your political commentary, you still yeah. have your four ranges of emotion, and all of that good stuff. Do you still
2: have big noses that are meant to remind you of other things?
4: Oh, dear God, I hope so.
3: You know, I don't know. I think those are optional now. I don't okay. think we have to rely on the phallus <laughs> okay. for that imagery right there.
2: Hey, keeping it clean here on Opera
1: Box Score. <laughs> Uh, Rose, so you've you've done burlesque, as, yes, as well as as a performer, as a director. Oh, um, a lingerie lyrique. Yeah, you directed that. Um, yeah, I saw well, that. I directed part of that. Um, Not enough a, men a, in that a, show. Which I have to which say. Say. <laughs> part? The top half or the bottom half? <laughs>
3: um, it was actually the middle half. <laughs> okay,
1: I just like, oh, keep a nice range. <laughs> oh, the, the third um, half. We did
3: a segment of actually. I still say, uh, and I say this completely unabashedly um the best thing I ever put on stage uh we did part of Armida um Mm. but I did it as it was the part where Armida takes Ronaldo to her pleasure palace which is really you know hell and um we did it I, I couldn't figure out what would be hell right until I was like oh yeah Jim Crow South sucks that's that's bad and so we did that and I was like what would be pleasurable in this time and I thought a bunch of women in white cotton nightgowns taking a bath would be lovely and that's how we staged it. And it was amazing. <laughs> um, and and that was one and of my well, I guess memories. we're not allowed
2: to say the singers' names because they all had like pseudonyms. Yeah, you right? have to
3: use, well, in burlesque, you use you oh, use yeah. stage names. Yeah. Um, I, I am not a burlesque performer, but even I have one. It's Edith Nom Nom Nom. <laughs>
2: Well, shout out to MLG, who sang that Armita, which is one of the hardest things to sing ever. I don't know
1: what her burlesque name is. I'm so sorry to you say You know
3: what? I can't remember. It was like okay. five years ago, and okay. I think she's retired
4: her pasties.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, burlesque is related to drinking, of course. Marissa, Opera on Tap. What is that?
4: That was a beautiful segue. Yeah, nice. It, it was. So I'm much. impressed. Yeah, Opera on Tap. We have the Chicago chapter here. It's part of a a nationwide organization. We have chapters all over it the place. It sounds like a Moose
1: Lodge or like the VFW post. <laughs> the, the Lions Club. Or, exactly. But without oh my the God. smoking. I mean. It really should
4: be. Um, but yeah, we are part of a national organization. And we do Theme of the Month shows every single month. So ours is the second Tuesday. Right now it's at the Red Line Tap up in Rogers Park. And basically we bring singers together, a lot of young artists. And we have them sing arias, sing ensembles. We have them do funny super titles. And... Uh, yeah, just get in the audience's space and performing and bringing opera to, you know, completely new audiences. We do other things too, Operatic Book Club, um, other 1X shows as well, but but the theme of the month shows are our main focus and that's how we kind so of do outreach. So I'd
2: like to hear a little bit more about this because I've always wanted to attend one of these things, but they always fall on nights when I can't go. So it's like, like on Tuesdays or something like that. Yeah, I have yeah. like my chamber choir rehearsal. So tell me what it's like. So it's a bar, mm-hmm. Is there any other music playing in the bar? They, like, shut it all off? Like, you know, do they try to be quiet for you, or is it...
4: Uh, they do. They do. Okay. Redline Tap has been really great about that. It Usually, the music goes until the very last second, until okay. we start. And then I just, you know, politely ask the bartender to, for the love of God, please turn it down. Um, <laughs> they do, very <laughs> promptly. And then we start the show. Um, it's usually pretty packed in there. Okay, nice. so the people yeah, that are there,
2: are they there because they know about Opera on Tap? Mm-hmm. Or is it just a popular place, and it's people are like, oh, shh. Crap! I'm trying to drink my we, beer. <laughs> we
4: haven't gotten a lot of those, thankfully. Okay. Um, you know, they advertise at Redline Tap, so we do get some people from the community, people who hear about us from the Glenwood Market. Sometimes we get advertisements there, and okay. people who look at our website. But it's a nice mix of singers that want to check us out, a mix of locals. We have some really passionate locals who um, come every single month. You know, have have the table at the big at the front of the stage and. And, um, you know, ask us what our next show is going to be, what the theme is. And and do you yeah. get
2: through whole pieces of music? Like do you do them start to finish or is it more kind of almost cabaret style where like something is finishing and something else is starting or like people are like laughing or cutting up and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you're actually not giving the music its full due. I'm just, I'm really trying to figure out no, what it's yeah. like. Yeah, Yeah. Mm. no,
4: it's really interesting. No, we do the full piece of music. So, okay. uh, let's see, last, actually last month we did mashup. So we did a mix of musical theater and opera. So the first act was West Side Story, and you know, I Capulet Montecchi, or um, Romeo and Juliet.
2: Chicago Shakespeare 400, everybody.
4: Hey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we do the full pieces with that. So we started the whole show with the Tonight Quintet from West Side Story. So we do that. The announcers, the divas, you know, me or Daniel Johansson, um, announce it. We kind of just do little bantery segues between the sh- between the the pieces. Okay. And then each singer introduces the piece. They usually have of sticky super titles that give you the gist of what they're saying sometimes they have gifts that go with that as well
2: gifts like gifs gifts yes okay. yes indeed so how do you do it's like you have a screen you're projecting yeah and, yeah oh. we have
4: a projector screen we have a projector we hook up a computer uh, we ask the singers to you know give us their super titles the sunday before the show so they prepare all of that for us and then we just we let it run and we've had some really funny ones uh the Rigoletto quartet we did it a few months ago and kat dalen did it and I was crying laughing at, uh, at the things that she chose to do on it. She had various um, meme characters as each person in the quartet, and they would just pop up as they would sing. I mean, Kat Dalen's already I mean, always very funny. She's always hilarious.
3: Yeah, you can't this is right Opera Box
1: Score on WNUR-FM. You're listening to the show with George Cedarquist and Oliver Camacho. This week, our guests, Rose Freeman and Marissa Abbas. Marissa, Opera on Tap, I mean, it's not a 4 a.m. bar that the show was done at, right? So, I mean, how, how late does this thing go?
4: Uh, it usually goes about, it's been about two hours lately. We've been mm-hmm. packing the show to the gills. So it starts at 8 o'clock, um, and then it usually goes until... Mm, usually nine forty-five ish depending we've had a really big crowd lately so it's it's taken a while to kind of calm them down between <laughs> the acts but yeah it's about a two-hour show us. yeah and Love it's it. a free world donation which is nice and just like to get people in
2: so are the artists paid
4: not yet okay. we are working on sponsorship okay. so that's one of the goals for the future
2: so the donations go to like The infrastructure or... Infrastructure, mostly the pianist
4: right now. And then infrastructure when we want to do some of our more um, ambitious stuff. Like we're going to do um, Operatic Book Club series at Harold Washington Library next year. We're going to be doing a four-concert series. It kind of goes to, you know, starting to... Uh,
2: How does that work, book club slash opera?
4: Oh, it's very interesting. We just did an Operatic Book Club this June. That was Roman Fever by Robert Ward based on the Edith Wharton short story. And basically, we just take a, a piece of literature and we either do, say, a one act or we do a song cycle that's based around an idea. I believe one of our first ones, we did um, pieces from Sylvia Plath. And we've also done a Don Quixote book club. And it just takes takes those pieces. And we also do a talk back at the end. We kind of we compare the pieces to what they've been excerpt, excerpted from. Okay, and yeah. are you
2: doing like song? Like you said, songs, mm-hmm. like art song?
4: Yeah, we're doing art song. Oh, okay. Yeah, Well, we do art song, we do opera. This next one, one of them is going to be the Julia Child, Bon Appetit. Yeah. But um, we are also looking to art song. One of them is probably going to be um, from, the, from the Diary of Virginia Woolf by Dominic Argento, personal favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other two, we're still kind of parsing out what we want to do for it. But it's mostly art song, the goal is art song. We've kind of branched out with opera a little bit, but art song's the focus because Usually our theme of the month shows focus on opera. So how do you
2: keep the branding of opera on tap with Mm -hmm. book club?
4: It's tricky. It's Mm -hmm. very tricky. Um, Basically we, we try to keep it so it's accessible for novices to the form. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of the, the main links that we have right now between them. And it's also the same singers from opera on tap where we have a talk back and we just make it as accessible as possible and uh, right now, that's the link for it. It is a tricky balance.
1: Rose, your next show is with Third Eye Ensemble. It's "Dark Sisters" by Nico Muli. It's it's a piece that has been done before in the U.S. a couple times. Uh, tell us about the story and your take on it. Well, this is
3: uh, our first uh, the first time it's uh, being performed in Chicago, which is pretty exciting for us. Uh, theater Third Eye Theater Ensemble is a a company that focuses on performing work well and performing work that inspires conversation, which always sounds um, a little generalized, but we take that actually very seriously. So uh, this opera uh, talks about um, a raid that happened in the fun- fundamentalist Mormon church um, in the early 2000s where uh, child protective services went in to um, what many would say would be a cult um, and took away all these children because they were performing child marriages. Uh, these children were around the age of 15. And so the opera opens the night after the raid um, or the night of the raid. There's been some dramaturgical debate on that one um, of the sister wives um, in these in this home begging for their children to come back and calling for their children. And then it kind of goes downhill
1: from there. How would you describe the music of the piece? Uh, Nico Mule also composed the opera Two Boys. It was at the Metropolitan Opera two, three years ago. Uh, The music on this show is tonal.
3: Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, and this is where we kind of show some of my illiteracy. I'm, I'm much more of a, uh, take the music and then apply staging and visuals to it. Um, we should really get our maestro in here for that. Uh, who
1: is, who is conducting?
3: Uh, it'd be Jason Carlson, whom Mm -hmm. I, I've collaborated with him. This will be our third collaboration and I have become very, very reliant on my maestro. I'm one of those staging directors that very much so loves to be right with maestro all the time. Um, but it does have Muley's kind of signature minimalism to it. There's this wonderful uh, church choir element to it and kind of church song feel to it, which is very appropriate with the piece. Um, and it's, there are moments with this music where you get weepy very quickly. Like, just come to your eyes kind of compulsively. I don't know how many times I've walked into a rehearsal already with a bad day on my shoulders and just oh, okay, let's do this. And then we, you know, trudge into some really difficult material. I, I sometimes call this piece Patriarchy the Opera because we're talking a lot about some very difficult concepts. In so it's piece. not
2: funny because, like, the name sounds kind of funny. Dark Sisters? Yeah. No, this is I not. Like it's an Almodovar movie or something. I have, like. I have oh. only
3: found two jokes, and I'm a hunter of jokes. Okay. In this <laughs> opera. It's, it's a rough one. <laughs> like, okay. The production yeah, my song wasn't, sad. wasn't, like,
2: I walk in the park. Oh, I, I thought there was confused. a laugh
3: or riot, yeah. <laughs> 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 no, this is six women wishing for their children back.
1: Oh, <laughs> gosh. Ugh. Marissa, is there something coming up this season in Chicago or in the U.S. or Europe that you're super excited about
4: Ooh, put me on the spot there. What about her own show that's yeah, coming up like next I, week or Yeah, I was going to say, I'm very <laughs> excited about that. Um, I am actually self-producing a show next week at Volumes Book Cafe, Miss Manners on Music, another Dominic Argento song cycle. I am a big fan of Dominic Argento. Um, and that is typically a one-woman mezzo-soprano cycle. We're taking it, so um, Miss Manners will be me, a mezzo-soprano. Mm-hmm. But uh, each gentle reader for each of the letters that are being read will be sung by a different soprano. And it's going to be semi-stage. It's going to be very, very charming. Um, so I guess that's what I'm looking forward to because I am in the weeds right now uh, producing at, it. Yeah. Say again
2: where yeah. that's going to happen? It's going
4: to be at Volumes Book Cafe. It's a fairly new book cafe in Wicker Park, I believe close to the Damon stop. They're really, really lovely. We're looking into collaborating more with them, hmm. potentially on um, you know maybe one acts based on short novellas. And, and various potential musical projects there. They're a really lovely space.
1: And it's going to be accompanied by Piano?
4: hmm By okay. Myron Silverstein on Piano, okay. mm-hmm. right? who is also a Miss Manners aficionado, which was a delightful thing I learned <laughs> when I asked him to accompany this. Nice. Yeah. Rose,
1: super quick for you. What's What are you looking forward to that is something that you're not part of? <laughs> <laughs> really, because I'm really as looking glad forward as I to am. my opening of Dark Sisters. <laughs> <That's> right, <yeah. laughs> there, must, there must be something on your dance card this uh, season. That you're um, super excited about.
3: I'm actually showing kind of my basicness mm-hmm. on this one. It is spice pumpkin you're latte so season. Basic. I'm so basic, <laughs> and uh, it's I just spice. found out that Houston's Carmen's coming uh, to the lyric, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I just went for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, eh, let's do this, and let's just you know sit there and. So you bought a ticket already, thank you, aren't. I did.
1: Oh wow! Nice. I did. You were really on the ball, Rose. Geez. Wow, that is very organized. I am nothing but efficient. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
2: Heads up to those of you who are young people in Chicago that want to go see the opera, you can always buy a ticket on the day of the performance. People are standing outside trying to drop, get, let go of their tickets because they don't want to go, and they're willing to sell them to you for very cheap. So just show up, and usually 10 to 15 minutes before curtain, there's some people out there just holding up their tickets desperate to get rid of them so
1: it's opera box score on wnur george cedarquist with oliver camacho our guests tonight rose freeman and marissa abbas we're gonna be right back
0: live from chicago you're listening to
1: opera box score message brought to you by the American Optometric Association and WNUR. An estimated 250 million children between the ages of 5 and 14 are working around the world. Unable to go to school, these children find themselves in the vicious cycle of ignorance and poverty. The International Labor Rights Fund is an advocacy organization dedicated to achieving just and humane treatment for workers worldwide. To find out more about ILRF, visit www.laborrights.org. This message brought to you by WNUR.
0: Today, my new dad and I shot off a rocket in the park. Today, my new son and I failed to shoot off a rocket. The rocket launched into the air. And then crashed into the pond. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day, even if I tried. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council.
1: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result 60 minutes of play by play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions, plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR.
0: Opera class. Sports radio class. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques.
1: Back here on WNUR, George Cedarquist in the house with my good pal, Oliver Camacho. Nice. No Tobias Wright tonight. Mm. He has the night He's off. He's shaving. He's shaving his He's back He's shaving his back, finally. <laughs> yeah. And Giovanna Jacques is... Touring the world, probably. Really? Mm. No, no, she's super busy these okay. days. But we've got some treats in store, actually. We're going to be developing like a long, like she's going to come on every month and do like a little postcard from some sort of place that she's been. Because she does travel quite a lot. Yeah. Rose Freeman on the show with us as well. Rose, how are you? I'm doing well, and how are you? Fine. Thank you so much. And Marissa Abbas. Excellent. Doing well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, there was an article in the Washington Post um, just a couple days ago, actually, which was basically about how we define success in opera. And it is what we are going to be turning our attention to in the Chalk Chalk segment coming up right now Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. The article is by Anne Maget, who is the lead classical music writer for The Washington Post. And it features Elizabeth Bishop, who is a mezzo-soprano. And it basically talks about how she has had a career not of super stardom and big national and international tours, but actually kind of being in the trenches and just working and working and working. Now, I will say, you can read this article, it's on our website, operaboxscore.com, that she's actually done some pretty big shows. She's done some pretty big roles. She's been on a PBS broadcast.
2: She's sung at the Met, for the love of God. <laughs> I know, I know,
1: exactly. Beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> she's fine. But she's doing just fine, thank you. I've actually I met Betsy Bishop. When I was in Pittsburgh, uh, I was an assistant on a production of Aida, and she sang Amneris. Ooh, nice. And I got, I didn't meet oh, her partner, knows. but I did meet her daughter. Her daughter is a a uh, lovely child, twelve Ken, years old. And, Ken Weiss, the, the pianist. Yeah, I don't, I don't, okay. yeah, I don't think he was there. Okay. Um. So, her whole point is like, you got to kind of define success for yourself, basically. And and Majette makes the point that we tend to think of operatic success as like all or nothing. You know, either you're Anna Trebko, the world famous Russian soprano, or you're a nobody. It's
2: hard to be Russian if you're not Russian. It, it's, it's,
1: it's very what difficult. What if you're just
3: walking fast?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Get out. Oh, okay. Uh, but... <laughs> I, th- I think, you know, she has a point here. What I want to know from our panelists and, oh, Oliver, why don't we start with you, is like, you know, what was, what was the dream for you? The What was the idea of success back then? And like, what has it become for you? What How have you changed your idea of what success is? Well, I, I feel like you sort of said everything already in the lead up to this. But, I mean,
2: I would just say that when you are a young person, um, you know, just deciding to study voice, uh, I think you think that... You know, the end all is to sing like at the Met or at La Scala or at Covent Garden. And uh, then reality sets in. And, you know, I wasn't very successful as a singer um, in my, you know, training era. And I never really was selected to be even like in the operas in my school. So it was really disappointing. And it wasn't until I turned like 30 till I started to really find my voice and to realize what my skills were. And so back then I would have defined success as having like this international career. And I even like did auditions for things I wasn't ready for and it was embarrassing and these types of things. But now for me, success would be having steady work and not necessarily all singing um, and making a nice amount of my income from performing. But I also realized that you have to pay the bills and there are other things that you can do. To make money. And like I just started working in arts administration, for example, but I had been working in the restaurant business for 25 years and producing work and still singing. So some might say that that was already a success because I managed to get work out there and I completed it and people saw it and people liked it. But um, was I making my living off of music? No, I wasn't. And maybe I'm not fully realized yet as a result.
1: It turns out you're a pretty good artistic administrator, actually. Like, you've, you've had significant experience with it at this stage, right? Like, you did that summer festival in Connecticut? Yeah, I
2: actually, I'm still the production manager there uh, at Amherst Early Music Festival, yeah. and uh, I now have other jobs on my resume I want to talk about right now.
1: Sure, exactly. <laughs> so, Marissa, Marissa what's, what's your take? I mean, do, do you feel like you, you've had the same trajectory as Oliver?
4: You know, actually yes. No, I, I wanna piggyback up what you were saying because I I too feel like I didn't I didn't really have a lot going on in my undergrad and grad school career and I kinda wandered around a little bit afterwards. And right now I'm still in the trenches when it comes to auditioning for yaps and stuff, and I'm I'm doing some stuff around around the country, but I I found that for me Right now, success is, you know, being able to do gigs, to be able to produce my own stuff, to be able to create art for people and for other people to participate in.
2: Yeah, making opportunities for yeah, people. Yeah, yeah.
4: I find that very rewarding. And I, you know, who knows what it's going to be like five years from now, but I really do think that it's it's gone away from the, oh, it must be an international career and that's the only... <laughs> Success, I will yeah. ever have. Have lots but, of uh, scarves and yes, all beautiful, all beautiful luggage. <laughs> Five scarves at once, covering yeah. my entire body. That's a lot of scarves. It's a lot of scarves. That's it's a good lot way of success. To get yeah, hurt
3: in a convertible.
1: Thing, <laughs> yes, <incorrectly. laughs> what a way, way to yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, but
4: I do think that um the ultimate barometer for me would probably be that I could be just making all of my money off of artistic endeavors. Yeah. Whether it be performing would be preferable, but performing and producing and and creating work. No more,
2: no more cater waiter. No more. sweet Jesus! Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. more driving lift. <laughs> that's no more of, erotic massage. That's
1: funny. <laughs> that's like that's all you ask for in a way, right? It's just like please. <laughs> oh, I'm
3: keeping it clean.
1: <laughs> please let me be able to just make my mm-hmm. entire little pathetic packet of money off of music or performance mm-hmm. or the arts in in some sort of way. And it's kind of crazy how difficult that is. Well, I kind of think of um, the we take a vow of poverty when we go
3: into the arts. Right? <laughs> like that's part of our spiritual mission. And some people go in for other other reasons, but I know that when I was like, "Mom, I want to be a theater maker," she cried more than when I told her I was gay. You know, it was that was harder for her because yeah. I she knew I was going to be poor for the rest of my life and this dark part of her life. Well, you're yeah. poor
2: financially, but you are rich culturally. Oh, my life is and, fantastic. And we have like amazing <laughs> friendships and we have the best parties. And and everything's
0: yeah. Everything's
3: amazing. I mean, really.
2: And we know what pleasure is.
3: People look at my life and you can see them seize, seethe with jealousy, right? My, it's oh, a great could life. did you see
4: that earlier when I was looking at you? Were, were you <laughs> seething? Oh, yeah. My life is
3: fantastic. <laughs> I'm tired, but it's fantastic. Most I'm just jealous
4: of your haircut. But so,
2: the thing I will say the Rachel Maddow. is that yes. if you are... A singer and you are young and you are still like in this rat race yep by all means go for it but don't let rejection uh you know make you not be an artist you know what actually if you are not an artist rejection will get rid of you just fine but if you are truly an artist if you feel like you must do this find a way keep at it keep singing and find ways to participate in this learn about stagecraft learn about you know working behind the scenes maybe you're gonna be a great manager maybe you're going to build a website to advertise all the classical vocal events <laughs> in your city. <laughs> there are so many. Maybe you'll start a radio show uh, at your uh, alumni. I, at had your an
0: mater.
3: Old, <laughs> I had an old undergrad professor. Uh, I remember walking in on him yelling at the actors because I come from the straight play background. And he was like, your job is it to be in the play and to act. Your job is to audition. That is where the work is. Your time in, in the
1: rehearsal room is a joy and a pleasure. And if it's not, then you shouldn't be there. It's opera box score on WNUR. My question, though, is like, how do you hack this? The rat race, as Oliver said it. I mean, how do you, each of you, and Marissa will will throw the the ball to you first. Is I mean, what? How do you drive yourself through it? How do you take rejection, as we all must take rejection? How do you continue to, you know, fight the good fight?
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to be frank, and I think when I was younger, it was just because I was really stubborn. And uh, so each rejection I got, I just went, well, I guess I'm going to keep going because why not? But um, for me now, I think it's, I keep going because I know that this is what I enjoy doing. I can't really see myself being fulfilled in anything else. So any any rejection that I get, I just go, well, that wasn't for me. Um, when I have time that I don't have something going on, I'll create my own art. I'll create other opportunities and, you know, just keep on auditioning for projects that are interesting and things that I think could you know, make a career in this. I, I've loved doing, you know, opera chorus stuff. I love doing actual roles. I You'd be, I mean, I'm so. not talking about you specifically,
2: yeah. but those of you listening would be very lucky to land a job like at lyric opera chorus. I met would
4: weep chorus. with joy yeah. if I got that. Yeah. I mean, I don't and know. And I think when you're an undergrad,
2: yeah. you think, oh, that's been, I don't know oh, God, chorus. No. Yeah. no, I've
4: sung chorus with Minnesota Opera twice and they were lovely and it was a lovely experience. I mean, I don't see why that's you that's a job. It's you know? a job, and it's yeah. you know you're in the show, and it's yeah. fun. And you don't have yeah. to
1: travel, you know. Yeah, you can have a family, you know. Exactly, Marissa. I love hearing you talk about the self-production side of it, which is mm-hmm. pretty challenging for a singer. I think direct as directors, Rose and myself. I mean, self-production. It's not that it's easier; it still takes a ton of work. But at least you have that option, and it's and taken it's an me, inherent part of what we do. It right? really is. It's it taken me itself. years to to realize that assistant directing leads down a very narrow path that very few people are on. And honestly, as a director, you really do have to end up self-producing however Mm -hmm. you possibly can, because basically no one is going to hire you unless they see your work in person. That is the bottom line. The problem, of course, is that no one travels in this country. I mean, come on, really? No one's going to get on a plane, get a hotel, buy a ticket to see one of my shows in Chicago they're just not going to do it so I have to hope and wait and pray and invite people again and again and just when that intersection happens when finally they do come and see my work in person that I'm there ready to make the most of it has that been your experience Rose
3: uh yeah yeah I completely started self-producing and I was told to in undergrad um I remember leaving and that was a long time ago and being like, no one will hire me. And of course they're not going to hire you. I mean, part of being a stage director is you are helming the ship and you are guiding how things go forward. So they aren't going to take an amateur and put them in charge of a very expensive boat. Why would they? Right. right? So, yeah, you have to create your own work. I mean, the first thing I did out of school was a very illegal production of Polaroid stories by Naomi Uzuka. And we did it with the resources that homeless kids would have, Mm -hmm. right? We did it in a park and that's how we produced that piece. And it went really well. And then next came Alice, but it was, you know, a very hard Scrabble company and it just kept going. Um, with third eye, I was with them on their first production and the show went better than we thought it would. And I remember looking at the artistic director the two founding members would be like we have to do this again we have enough traction where you don't want to give this up so let's find another opera and do it and we just kept going and we're doing these shows on less than 10 grand call to action to all the
2: people that are in the same boat as rose and george and i and marissa you support each other go to each other's works you know help fill out that audience and help give those young producers and directors a chance to do work in front of an audience and a critical audience and The real problem here is that there's not enough journalism arts journalism, and very few organizations you know get the the bump from their local newspaper or whatnot uh so that they have got the blessing that you should go see this show or this this is a great director, this is a great singer. And uh, Chicago Fringe Opera, I think, was very fortunate to have uh, John Van Ryan come to in the Penal Colony, and now they have that as like, yes, John Van Ryan came to our show, and he said this about these things that we do,
1: and that that is a lot of collateral. You know? I loved mm-hmm.
3: Penal Colony, by the way, George.
1: I really like how you did that. It's very kind of you. Thank you, Marissa. I wanted to pick up on something that you noticed in this article from Elizabeth Bishop, which is about the Potomac Vocal Institute. I have no idea what that is prior to reading this article. Can you talk us through, you know, what you gleaned from the article and why you were attracted to this idea?
4: Well, I, I can't see it right now, but from what I remember I enjoyed about it was that not only does she make, Oh, thank you very much, Oliver. I'm, I I'm get to see the article right now. It's very exciting. Um, but basically what I enjoyed about that was that she not only was making her career through performances in wonderful houses, but that she was also giving back to young singers and giving back to the community. Um, as it says in the article right now that there's a gap in training for anyone who, who doesn't get into young artist programs. Um, they'll only take singers one, one through nine, what happens to 10 through 17. And I do think that's very important to examine. We have a, you know, a glut of singers right now and to be able to give them training to be able, when you are in that position where you have the time to give back, why not do that? Why not, you know, create opportunity and create art and create the next generation of of artists, not just singers but artists.
1: Rose, do you think there's a glut of directors? I mean, this article as Marissa said is like what happens to the, all those other dire- uh, all those other singers? I guarantee you, there is no virtually no young artist program for a director.
3: No, um I want to uh, the 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 directors lab, there's one in Chicago and then there's the one in Lincoln Center. I participated in the one in Chicago. Um, and that's headed by Elizabeth Margolius. And I really want to give a shout-out to her on that front because she really took that that lack of, of opportunity for directors um, between undergrad and a master's program and then just suddenly being a genius because you got a hold of a good script. Um, there was nothing in between for just everyday development. And like every other production... And every other element, you know, singers have instructors, um, performers have other elements. S- directors don't have that, right? We're considered to be these leaders and that we don't have any requirement to continue growing. I mean, I, I'm constantly developing. I mean, I agreed to, a, to perform as an actor for the first time as an adult just to develop my skills. I started doing storytelling so I could understand that element. And it was just because there's a, there's a lack of artistic development for directors. We're supposed to, I think a lot of times, come from a different background. A lot of times you'll see directors that used to be actors or used to be designers, and now they're directors. Uh, there aren't a whole lot of staging directors that were staging directors.
1: Thanks for the point. I want to see if we can take a caller here. This would be Kenny from Michigan. Kenny, are you there? Kenny, can you hear me? All right. Marissa, Marissa. Over to you. What do you have to add to the subject while I work on Kenny's phone call? Excellent. Yeah, I, let
4: me vamp. Let me vamp. No, no, let me vamp. Uh, here we go.
2: There is um, something that kind of shares some sentiment that we have here that I saw on Facebook. I don't know exactly who to quote, but I found it on uh, composer Ross Michael Kreen's, um Facebook oh, page. Oh, hey, Ross. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he says it's maybe from this guy named Griffin Candy. I don't know who that might be. But the quote is... I know vocalists who perform frequently, who haven't done a formal audition in years. I know composers who travel almost constantly or not at all. I know astounding artists that live in large cities and tiny villages, and the size of their environments affects their output not at all. I know artists with day jobs and some without. I know artists with families and some without. I know artists with degrees in their field and some without. There's no way to make an artist in the same way that there's no way to make art. Anyone who says differently is selling you something.
3: Yes, queen. I love that. Yes, queen. <laughs> yes, queen. Like yes, yes, <laughs> yes. No, but seriously, that is. I mean, just I get excited about that, right? It's important to know that there is no right way to make an mm-hmm. artist. There's no right way to be an artist. Um, every time in my rehearsal room, I am always yelling like a crazy broken record. There are no wrong choices. Mm-hmm. You're just
1: making choices. Let's see if we can get Kenny on the line again, Kenny. Kenny, talk to us. Hmm. Kenny, we
2: watch you to live. No, Kenny.
1: We're going <laughs> to step Kenny, what's, aside what's for I'm a short break. <laughs> and see if we can uh, get Kenny back on the line. Opera Box Score on WNUR.
0: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score.
2: on the rise among college students living in dorms, but the devastating disease may be prevented with a vaccine. The Meningitis Foundation of America provides information to educate the public and medical professionals about meningitis so that its early diagnosis and treatment will save lives. Find out more by visiting www.musa.org or call toll free at 1-800-668-1129. Mental illness is a term used for a group of brain disorders causing severe disturbances in thinking, feeling, and relating, which results in a substantially diminished capacity for coping with the ordinary demands of life. Brain disorders can affect persons of any age, children, adolescents, adults, elderly, and they can occur in any family at any time. If you think that someone you love has a mental illness, speak up. Get help. Get support. Get in touch with the Alliance for the Mentally Ill of Greater Chicago at 312 563 zero four four five
1: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera. Now I hear you saying opera ain't your thing, but get this. We tackle everything about opera and body slam it into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of in-depth analysis, outrageous opinions, and good, clean fun. You might even learn something. Opera class, sports radio crass. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR.
0: Listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques.
1: Opera Box Score tonight on WNUR, George Cedarquist here with Oliver Camacho.
2: Nice. Thanks, Kenny, for calling. We really appreciate you. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Kenny
1: could not could not get the, uh, the, we already the have phone four lines people on there. this show, a fifth,
2: It was a be valiant effort.
3: We're gonna get. We don't want to next
2: week. disturb the balance of women to men on the show. So. It's,
4: it's so perfectly balanced right yeah. now.
3: Yeah. I'm would... uncomfortable. It's so balanced. <laughs> <laughs> it's so
1: heteronormative in here. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> it's time I for
3: I cannot with you.
1: <laughs> it's time for Monday evening quarterback. Opera class,
0: sports radio class. This is opera box score. Who made the grade? Here's Monday evening quarterback.
1: We haven't done one of these for a while, actually, a Monday Evening Quarterback. It's Monday our, Evening
2: Quarterback is on summer vacation.
1: It's true, but so. well, there yeah. were not a lot of shows to review. It is a review segment, and uh, we, tend, we try and have a relatively intelligent discussion about the show, but ultimately mm. we end up handing out some letter grades. You do,
2: not me. You don't? No, no you're, you're I don't like the letter grades. You, you don't
1: like thing. the letter grades no. thing? Oh, I love yeah. it. It's very easy. Yeah. So uh, I saw the show.
2: Congratulations.
1: Am I the only one who saw this show? No, I saw it too. Okay. Of course I saw it. It's Haymarket. I love Haymarket. Set it up for us, my man.
2: So this is uh, Haydn's Lizola disabitata, And as I was saying on uh, VocalArtsChicago.com, this is, at this point, Haymarket deserves for us to see their shows regardless of what repertoire they choose. And more often than not, you're not going to recognize the repertoire that they're choosing. You just have to trust that they're going to do a good job with it. I have to say, this is their first Rococo opera. This opera was premiered in 1779. Yes,
1: I laughed when Craig Trumpeter, the artistic director, was like, it's the oldest show we've ever done. It is. Meaning <laughs> the most recently composed, I guess.
2: Right. And uh, no, yeah, it's the newest show we've ever done. Um, so the show they did before this in the spring was uh, Cavalli's Callisto, which was. 16 something, 1650 or something like that. So this is a full hundred plus years after Cavalli. And, uh, it really shows in the, in the music. I mean, this is in the same era as Mozart. Uh, there's a lot more instrumentation. There's more use of woodwinds. Um, and I think as a result, Haymarket casted, cast singers that were a little bit heftier than they're used to, uh, hiring. um, Kimberly McCord was the uh, heroine of the show and she sung with them before she sung Dido. And she was also Juno in their production of Callisto. And she was amazing. Uh, Suzanne Lomler, a mezzo-soprano, sang the ingenue role of Sylvia uh, or yeah, Sylvia. uh, And it's a comic role, sort of the way uh, like in Abduction from the Straw, you have the, um constanza and belmonta you have the blunchen and the pedrio it's, it's sort of set up this way and sylvia was hilarious i mean suzanne Lomler was hilarious uh in this role of sylvia uh the tenor the romantic lead was scott brunsheen and uh, to me a big surprise uh in this casting was uh verified barahunk jonathan byer in the baritone role of enrico should we listen to a little clip? Yeah, let's listen to Lu- Luca Pizzaroni. This is the baritone aria, Qui uh, nel camin donore." This is uh, a live recording sung by Luca Pizzaroni, uh from 2009 in Vienna under the late Nicolas Arnancourt. <laughs>
1: really is fantastic
2: yeah so most Haymarket shows are heavy on the continuo with just a couple of treble instruments like maybe two violins or maybe two oboes so as you can hear this almost sounds like a, a full orchestra uh, which is very unusual for Haymarket and Craig Trumpeter usually leads from the gamba or from the cello and in this case he was full-out conducting which to me is very strange to see him conduct but musically uh, there was very high uh, integrity in this production Uh, I did want to continue talking about Jonathan Beyer, who um, just was, I think, outstanding in his role. And I don't know, maybe because he's very experienced, but this whole thing with Baroque gesture and with posture and how you look in your costume and your comportment, he really had that nailed down. And I was extremely impressed with this because I've done this and I've taught people this and it's really hard for people to, to get this like looking natural and not so affected it really is artifice and as you can hear in this music you all know like Mozart opera style. Like there's these long introductions to aria sometimes. And that usually is the time that the singer needs to like walk across the stage and like show you their costume and like do some really beautiful, graceful move, which you don't get anymore in modern stagings, but Haymarket really honors those traditions. And Jonathan Beyer was amazing at filling up the time and filling up the stage and just looking really, really elegant in his costume. So kudos to him.
1: There's no question that the music in this show really was brilliant. This is a company that is driven by a brilliant musician Craig Trumpeter. He has a fantastic orchestra at his disposal, which is touring Europe later this summer. And of course, the music and the singing is going to have primacy in a production like this. What I would love to see this company do is a show from this period, but without the period design and possibly even without that's that stylist. Of, that's the whole point
2: of Haymarket Opera
1: Company. They won't do it. I, I think that they should expand the mission and that they and that there's no reason that they wouldn't be able to do a show with these beautiful instruments and that fantastic sound and these fantastic I'm singers. I'm so
2: so sorry, but the whole point of this opera company is to preserve this and to show that this style of producing opera is valid and if we take these elements seriously, present them the way they're meant to be seen, that we can actually learn something from it. And I'm so sick of seeing, you know, period opera or like baroque opera or rococo opera done in modern uh, fashion where the music is telling you one thing and the action on stage is telling you something else. But
1: this is what I found surprising. For example, there is this effect of, um, you know, three sets of waves, which are two-dimensional sort of, uh, quote, you know, rolling side yes, to side. Yeah, old
2: timey stagecraft.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Which surely, in Haydn's day, that would have been like a shocking, exciting effect. Am I right? Yeah, it would have been exactly like, hey, stagecraft. But the night that I was there, the audience found it comic. That, to me, does not line up with what the original intention it's was. It's a comic opera. I mean, it's 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 the opera basically has
2: no plot. I mean, it's it's. It's a rescue opera. It's very, very like, archetypal. There's nothing it, like, new in this show. So you really just have to accept that and try to make each thing as beautiful and as high integrity as possible.
1: So you're saying that that sort of a
2: scenic effect was intended to be comic originally? I don't know if it was intense to be comic, but it's it's adorable to us. It's quaint to us, you know? But let's see what what would it be like if we were in the 18th century and we saw this for the first time? Try to imagine that. Can't you suspend your disbelief? For a I moment, have you know? a
3: question. Yes.
1: Rose Freeman. Mm-hmm.
3: So Uda Hagen talks about how the beauty of live performance mm-hmm. is that it is never archival, that it's always happening in the now. Mm-hmm. So do you think that this mission of preservation is becoming archival? And is that the part of the purpose? Or do you think it is Maintaining a preservation while still maintaining its nowness if that we makes
2: sense. call it historically informed that's like the movement, and I think the whole point of it is to show the scholarship that we have you know developed in understanding this earlier work, and I think this work can be more successful uh, if we understand what made it work in the first place and I feel like so many times we just think that the the that the work is not good enough. And so we have to add, you know, modern staging or modern dress or our own like subtext to things, but actually just do it and do it sincerely and see if it's effective.
1: But surely there should be a relationship between like the piece and the here and now, right? Like isn't good art all about the here and the now?
2: So are you saying when you read like Shakespeare, you read like whatever, any historical book that you can't extrapolate their ideas to the present? I can. In your own imagination. I,
1: I guess, well, it's, you know, I had this very conversation with my wife, actually, who, she's never been to the Globe Theater in London, but I have. And when you go to the Globe and you see, let's say, King Lear done there, and you're standing in the yard, and it's two o'clock in the afternoon, like, you really do understand why Shakespeare would write long speeches about how dark the night is and the moon is doing this and the stars are doing that, because none of those effects were at his disposal. So in that regard, I, yes, I agree with you that these sorts of historically informed performances can teach us something.
2: So did I just change your mind or I don't understand what just
1: happened right now? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, what I'm saying is, again, I mean, what I want to see is I want to keep the masterful musicianship from this company and that fantastic orchestra. And I just I want to see them expand what their vision, what the aesthetic vision of it is. And I don't. I want them to
2: do what they're doing, uh, keep finding new works to produce and do it even better um, and find the the singers who can be as good as Jonathan Beyer was in this show.
1: Uh, what's what's the second show of their season? Do you um, know? Well,
2: they're collaborating with Chicago Opera Theater to do uh, Fairy Queen uh, later on this I think I am so
1: excited for that. And and just to be clear, so Haymarket, they're providing the instrumentalists. Yeah, they're providing the orchestra, yeah. But it's going
2: to be, and I think Jory Vinicor is going to be musically directing it. And it's going to be stage directed by not, it's not going to be historically informed.
1: Okay, so hey, that's my point. (sighs) So clearly, that's not problematic to Haymarket. Chicago Opera Theater, which is one of our... Yeah, it's a
2: Chicago Opera Theater production, though. It's not a Haymarket production.
1: Okay, but, I mean, I don't think the Haymarket folks would sign up for something that they didn't believe in. They're just in. calling
2: it the Haymarket Opera Orchestra. They're not calling it a Haymarket production.
1: Well, this, yeah. Hmm. Okay, so there's there's a bit of a debate here.
2: Yeah, and it's Chicago Opera Theater singers. It's not like Craig Trumpeter's casting or anything like that. It's people that they're, are part of their diploma program, et cetera, you know?
1: I I understand that, but so clearly the Haymarket folks that they don't have a problem. Then with uh, is Andreas Mitosek the general manager of Chicago Opera Theater? Is he directing the show? Yeah, I, I, I wasn't prepared to answer that question. So no, no, I I understand that. I assume he's directing it.
2: Yeah, it's not going to be a historically informed staging. Wouldn't it be show.
1: awesome if they did the historically informed like gestures and so forth, but everybody had like a shaved head and was wearing like a black leather trench coat, like high regie theater? Yeah, why don't you but learn we, how
2: to do historically informed? gesture and then you can do that
1: you're so
3: conceptual George yeah. <laughs> it
1: would, you I think love it, concept it would be fantastic it would right be great. Be great. the show has closed uh this past weekend It was just two performances at the Athenaeum theater which is you know I hadn't been to the Athenaeum theater in years the first show I ever assistant directed was in uh Chicago was at the Athenaeum and it's such a delightful house Yes, it
2: feels historical, doesn't it? Are you you talking about the big house or one of the little
1: guys? The big house. The little studios are pretty nasty. But the main house is so beautifully done. And it's kind of the perfect size. There was a great crowd.
2: But isn't there something really delightful about its oldness?
1: There is. There is. There is. Uh, But see, I'm talking about the oldness of like the big theater. I'm not talking about like the junky black boxes that Rose and I have suffered Traversed. in for years. Yeah, But the hey, theater is, is well, is well on preserved. on that big
3: stage and that fly system is mildly terrifying. Yes, Thank
1: yes. You. That theater is, is, is beautifully preserved and I'm glad that Haymarket was able to upgrade and move. Yeah, they were that, at main stage. Right? That's
2: the great thing about Haymarket is that they're expanding their mission and they're expanding their audience they're expanding their orchestra. Everything is getting better, bigger but doing these things truthfully.
1: Yeah, it was a great crowd. It was an older crowd. Uh, I don't know what I expected. I suppose from the crowd, uh, but they were—they were all it.
2: from the 18th century.
1: They were all bowing to each other. <laughs> yes, exactly. it was quite bizarre, and they and all they had, had legs. Yeah. <laughs> Great handkerchiefs, though. Yeah. Right. Cholera. It is yeah. time to—they had all had cholera. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's time to wrap this show up on Opera Box Score. Good call,
0: bad call, on Opera Box Score.
1: Oh, my goodness. What an hour it's been. Oliver and I almost came to blows here, over fisticuffs, I should say, be- before he gets in.: I challenge thee to a duel. <laughs> so down the gauntlet, sir. Good call, bad call. It's how we wrap up this show. Rose Freeman, do you have a good call or a bad call for us?
3: Um, speaking of old people at shows, uh, I have a good call. Uh, Riot Fest was in Chicago uh, this weekend. And I went and saw it, and I saw the Flaming Lips, and their entire design concept was balloons. <laughs> and I was super into it.
1: You're going to steal that, aren't you?
3: Oh, yeah. We're going to see balloons. <laughs> Within the next two years, mark my words, there will be balloons.
1: Marissa Abbas, thanks so much for being on the show with us. Great. I have
4: a good call and a bad call. Tell us about it. Uh, good call, uh, October Fest with Opera and Tap, uh, October 11th, Tuesday. Everybody check it out. Uh, bad call is a pop culture one. Beyonce got robbed at the Emmys. Twice. Twice. It was pretty brutal. <laughs> How
1: do you get robbed twice? Well, once Two was categories.
4: Little. Yeah. Wait, what? Oh. Yeah. What? what? Yeah, yeah was, cool. no. Continue, continue what? continue. what are we talking about? Oliver,
1: <laughs> did you watch the Emmys? I, it's on
2: tape, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it <laughs> later on, so don't tell me what happened, and I'm not going to look at the internet until I find out.
1: Wow, you really want to live in that bubble. Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so my good call uh, is that uh, Harris Theater of uh, Music and Dance here in Chicago uh, is one of the first organizations, major organizations to kind of give credit to Vocal Arts Chicago, which is my calendar for vocal arts events. And they are offering my viewership. And as an extension of that, our Opera Boxcore audience, a discount to the Peking Opera, which is part of the Chicago Shakespeare Festival. Uh, They're doing the Peking Opera version of Hamlet called the Revenge of Prince Z Don, and you can use this code at the Harris Theater website, which is Z Don 20, Z I D A N 20, for $20 tickets, which is a substantial discount to see something you probably will never see again or haven't seen before, which is Peking style opera, which you've seen. Do you know what it's about. It's like acrobatic, and there's mine. I have seen Peking and opera, and there's weird vocalism Beijing, and yeah, old instruments. Awesome.
1: And, yeah, that sounds
4: fantastic. Yeah,
1: 20 bucks. Z Don 20, everybody. I'm
4: writing that down.
1: Uh, bad call here. The Bears are down to the Eagles, seven to twenty-two. This this Bears team is just lousy, just plain lousy.
3: They're doing the best they can, George.
1: There are no Jonathan Beyer Bear hunk, that's for sure. <laughs> that's it for tonight's show. Our oh, wait, I
3: gotta, I gotta promote. I gotta say, October twenty-first is when opening of Dark Sisters, uh, Third Eye we'll yeah, if I org. the, the don't weekly do show. director is gonna come for me. She's gonna come for me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Visit our announcer, Norm Waddell, on the web at voxershorts.com. That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. For WNUR, our programming director is Nick Anderson, and the general manager is Brock Stucey. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Opera Box Score. Be sure to like our Facebook page. And if you know people who would enjoy our show, help us spread the word by sharing our posts. You can also subscribe to the podcast version of our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Hey, please, please, please leave a review. Let us know what you want to hear more of on our show. The creative consultant for Opera box Score is Oliver Camacho. For our guest co-hosts Rose Freeman and Marissa Abbas, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera even as you cling to the dying days of summer. We're back next Monday night at 9 central. More guests, more news, more hot takes. Street Beat is up next with Joe. Stick around for that. You're listening to WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's Sound experiment.